Okay, well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to session 102, Integrating STD Prevention Efforts with Post-STI Diagnosis and Support. Uh, my name is Johnny Green III, and I currently serve as a Priority Population Coordinator with the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Division of HIV and STI Programs. Uh, I will be serving as your moderator for this session. Uh, before we begin, I do want to go over some quick housekeeping before we start. On the upper right-hand section of your screen, you will find the chat and question and answer section. Uh, please be sure to give a quick hello and introductions in the chat section. And if you have any questions, please make sure you use the question and answer tab. Uh, in addition, questions will be taken uh, as they come about during the presentation and we'll be addressing them throughout the slides that are given. Um, so what I'd like to do in the absence of time is go ahead and uh, introduce our speaker. Our speaker for this morning is Mr. Courtney Brain, who is the founder and podcast host at Something Positive for Positive People. After four years of interviewing people living with sexually transmitted infections about their experiences from diagnosis to disclosure, Courtney Brain has become the investigative journalist of STI stigma. This all began when he saw that there were people living with genital herpes expressed wanting to end their lives after diagnosis. After over 200 interviews, he found that sexual and mental health are interconnected in the intersection of stigma. The findings from these interviews directly challenged the status quo of STI stigma, and there needs to be some change. Uh, so without further ado, I would like to turn it over to Courtney, and we will go ahead and get started with our session. Johnny, I think I'm going to have you read all my bios moving forward. Let me know if you need this <laughs> side <okay>. hustle. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pull up the presentation here. Call tab. There we go. And then, Johnny, let me know if we are good to go. All right. Do you see the first tab? Just the uh, introduction slide? Not as of yet. Oh, okay. Let me see. Share. Here we go. We'll just share the screen. And I'm sorry. I was talking and I was muted. So um, you're, you were sharing your screen with video on it, not your presentation. So there we go. And I'm gonna oh, there we go. Okay. There we go. Yeah. All right. So you'll notice a little bit of a title change there. The title of the presentation was a lot lengthier. And the more that I practiced this presentation, integrating mental health resources with STD prevention efforts rolled off the tongue a lot smoother. Uh, so I'm Courtney Brain, the host and executive director of Something Positive for Positive People, as Johnny mentioned. And I declared that I have no conflict of interest. Had to make sure to throw that in there. All right, so here's a general overview of what to expect for this presentation. I'll give you a little bit of an introduction to something positive and myself. We'll talk a little bit about post-STI diagnosis support, 
um, a little bit of a mention of the current STD prevention efforts and why I'm advocating for mental health resources to be integrated with those. And then the essentially the model of integration being minimization over prevention. And then we'll close out. So um, at the end of each slide, if you have any questions that come up, you can just type them into the Q&A box. And then um, before I move on, we'll check in. Something positive for positive people. This is essentially the life cycle of it. There's not really a timeline for when all of this began. The podcast started over four and a half years ago with me just interviewing people who were living with uh, herpes specifically about their experience. I found myself in a space um, as someone who's been diagnosed for a little bit over eight years with genital herpes. I navigated that for about four years on my own without any support resources. And when I began to find communities for support, there were people there who uh, expressed wanting to end their lives. And so my intention was to find people who were okay with their status and just interview them, record a conversation, and then share it with those who were not okay with where they were in their diagnosis. And so over time, this developed into what became the Something Positive for Positive People podcast, and it turned into just like an anonymous way for people to seek out support. Two years into that, a lot of the consistencies were that we needed something uh, for people's mental health. Um, those interviews weren't just exclusively about HSV. It was about people's relationship to their sex education and uh, how the mental health aspects of sex education appeared to be completely omitted from the conversation. And what I mean by that are things like boundaries, consent, being able to ask for what you need, being able to say no, being able to receive a no, identifying abuse, and then being able to seek support in the event that uh, you need it. So what we did was begin to offer therapy for people who are most struggling with stigma. And throughout the process, you kind of got a sense that um, their diagnosis wasn't really the over, um, it wasn't really what they talked about the most in therapy, but a lot of the things surrounding that, their mental health um, and their relationships to themselves. Uh, throughout the podcast and the nonprofit and offering of therapy, advocacy was something that was really, uh, that kind of came into light. The advocacy for uh, better herpes education expanded into sex positivity. It expanded more into consent. It expanded into identity validation and being able to recognize the different intersections of identities that people have. So in the advocacy for better sex education uh, stemmed the advocacy for people prioritizing and taking care of their mental health. Uh, and then there's just been this community that's developed over time as well. As people find the resources, they come, they get what they need, maybe they stick around, or maybe they go on to become advocates in their own way, whether it be simply sharing with someone close to them about their diagnosis and what their experiences have been, or just disclosing to a potential partner, um, or just creating their own version of their something positive for positive people. Um, I'm going to go on to the next slide. Are there any questions at this point? Courtney, I was going to add one thing. It looks like some folks are asking, can you allow the slides at all? I uh, suggested maybe they change their view, but 
I don't know if that's even a possibility on your end, but that did come up in my question and answer section, so I just wanted to address that. Can I enlarge the slides? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's what they're asking. Ooh, hold on. Let me see what we can do. That may not be an option, though. I don't think so. Uh, I think they need to change their individual screen. So anyone that's having that issue probably have to change their individual screen and maybe expand it. Ah, okay. Yeah. All right. If this can, uh, continues to be an issue, I can just like read it off as well. And I want to say, I did put it in the chat, but in the view box um, up in the upper right-hand corner, if you change it to screen share view, the slide, um, the presentation box is larger and the video box is is smaller. All right, I hope that helps. Okay, going on to the next slide. Uh, Johnny already gave an introduction about me. Um, I identify as an able-bodied, cisgendered, heterosexual man. Um, ba -ba -ba. And yeah, this is what Johnny read. All right, here we go. So post-STI diagnosis support at a glance. So these screenshots that you see here are from a very recent survey that began May 2021, and we concluded in June 2021 of 1,148 total participants who are living with herpes simplex virus, whether that be type 1 or type 2. And what we found is that there was there was actually a lot of things. The survey was 50 questions, but what's most relevant right now uh, here are the primary needs for support post-diagnosis. So what stood out were, did your healthcare provider offer you an opportunity to ask any questions about your diagnosis? So there's that 36, 37% of people who just didn't say yes. And what I would like to see is for that to be a lot higher throughout um, the process of my advocacy is to advocate for uh, providers really being able to set the foundation for people to feel safe and secure and asking questions. But as you'll see, as we go over to the third chart, did you know what useful resources you needed before you came across them? A lot of people don't really know what it is that they need. And here in the middle, while it's cut off, the second to last one, uh, what forms of support did you receive after your diagnosis that were most useful? 8.6% of the respondents said resources provided by their healthcare provider. So with that number being as low as it is compared to social media being as high as it is, there's an opportunity here for uh, the providers and the people who find themselves in this advocacy space to connect and communicate with one another in a way that allows for people to find that support. So the bulk of this survey was just highlighting the needs of people specifically who are living with HSV to find uh, or to identify what they needed when they were diagnosed and what they now, after having been diagnosed for so long, uh, wish that they would have had or wish that they could have access to right now. But yeah, this is just where people are, um, where people are in terms of finding and receiving the support, the support that they need. Are there any questions before I switch over? All right. So the post-diagnosis support seeking cycle. I'll speak to my own personal experience here. Um, as I mentioned, I've interviewed over 200 people who have experienced a positive STI diagnosis. So the beginning really is at the first sign of the STI. Uh, 
where you have these feelings of utilizing the STD prevention measures that we were taught from sex education, such as wearing condoms or, you know, just not having sex or being monogamous. And then you have those first symptoms and then you start to question things. This could have been avoided if dot, dot, dot. So you go from that into receiving your diagnosis where there's this internalized stigma, there's the confusion of how can this happen? And then you have your entire identity challenged because of um, what that now means for your sexuality and how you're able to um, present value to potential partners. And I always say this, that the initial touch point of the delivery of a diagnosis is the first stage of STD prevention. Because how a person receives their diagnosis not only determines how they'll choose to go about disclosing to potential partners or even seeking support, disclosing to people who can offer the support that they need for their mental health, but it also determines if a person discloses. So for me, I was one of the people who just was given information in a very objective way. Here's what herpes is. Here's how people manage it. Here's how many people have it. That was the extent of the support that I received. Um, I wasn't given any guidance on disclosing that information or how to uh, manage it outside of taking the medication or how to uh, best minimize the possibility of passing it on to a new partner. So after leaving, you know, I had what the doctor gave me and that was it. And I mentioned there were four years in my experience where I navigated this on my own. So the initial information that I sought out was what the doctor gave me. I used that and went to Google and found that there were three main things that I needed to do, which were take care of my physical health, take care of my uh, stress, manage my mental health, and then um, work on my nutrition. So that's what I did for those first four years. And, you know, over time, it just came a point where I needed something more. So as I began to seek out whatever that something more is, I'm one of the people who didn't know what resources I needed until I found it. Um, I looked to social media and that's where I found dating apps and support groups that were for people who were living with HSV. And once I got there, uh, it seemed like a really positive place to be because now this whole burden was lifted off my shoulders of having to worry about is someone going to find out that I have HSV? How am I going to tell someone I'm interested if I'm going to be putting them at risk? What's the best time? What's the best way? All of that had been alleviated. But throughout exploring all of those options that were available, I will say that there came a point in time for me where in those spaces, I liked myself a lot more there. And I would even argue being addicted to being in those spaces rather than around the people who've known me more than half my life, who've been with me and supported me through a lot more challenging situations in my life. So as I started to challenge that, what I recognized was uh, that there was just sort of trauma bond occurring where so many people who were going through this avoidance were kind of unhealthily navigating this. And it was when I began to go through my own uh, herpes education advocacy that I began to realize how much potential harm I had been doing, uh, just unconsciously navigating that space. And even when the advocacy began, I don't know what kind of harm I did outside of, uh, I remember early on, just going to people who were talking about ending their lives and being like, hey, you know, it's not that bad. You, you'll be okay. And saying some of the worst things that you could potentially say to someone who is feeling the way that they are about ending their lives. So 
one of the things that um, I also advocate for here is just the potential for the advocacy that that can occur if we look at this as a minimization uh, as minimization efforts instead of prevention efforts because the word prevention in itself excludes someone like me because in that sense I failed or I'm a failure rather than looking at it as you know the sex education system or the way that we offer prevention efforts was more of a failure to me I'm not a failure because in my experience I did everything right uh, that fell under the category of what I was willing to do in order to prevent myself from contracting an STI before I go on to the next slide, are there any questions? All right. Um, we won't stay here long. STD prevention efforts. Uh, this is on the CDC website. This was pulled from July this year. STDs are preventable. If you have sex, know how to protect yourself and your sexual partner from STDs. You'll see abstinence, vaccination, reduced number of sex partners, mutual monogamy, use condoms and put yourself to the test, which is just basically get tested. Um, and I cited the CDC here down at the bottom right hand corner. Uh, we'll come, you'll see this in two more slides with a little bit of uh, a description of um, what minimization efforts would look like. Why mental health resources? So what you see here is a screenshot of my podcast, I host something positive for positive people and the abbreviation SPFPP. Now, this screenshot looked so much better when I created the presentation for those four charts that you'll see on the right side. Um, so I'll go ahead and go through those real quick and then explain what we're looking at here. But as I mentioned, the survey that was done May and June of this year, uh, there was a mental health portion where we invited to share any information that they had about their mental health and ask specific questions in relation to uh, seeking a therapist, any mental health diagnoses they received, um, or uh, suicide ideation or attempts as well. Uh, so the first question at the top left is, have you been diagnosed with depression related to your HSV status? Now, here we'll see that 82% of people uh, were not diagnosed. So the other 18 that were, this is an accessibility to therapy issue. You know, not only do they have to have in their range of perspective, maybe I need to see a therapist or maybe I need to talk to someone. And going back to what we said about what sex education omits, seek support, they knew that they were able to utilize it whatever way that they needed to, whether it be having the resources to uh, seek out a therapist and know how or having um, the money to be able to pay for it for themselves. Uh, underneath that, it says, have you seen a mental health professional because of your diagnosis? And here we have 33% of people who have. Now, again, for those people who have not seen one, they may not have even known that this was something that was available to them or something that would have been found useful to them. Going back to the previous chart where it said 90, uh, 96% of people had not known what useful resources that they needed until they came across them. So stepping up into the upper right corner, you'll see, did you think about committing suicide after your diagnosis? And 36.2% of people said yes. That speaks volumes to the just prevalence of stigma. And this is, you know, just this is for HSV. 
you know, who knows what this is across the platform, across the board for STIs in terms of the feelings like, all right, my sexuality has been tainted or damaged and my value is down, my identity is now whatever it is that a person viewed about uh, a person who would get an STI. And then at the bottom right hand corner, you'll see, did you attempt suicide after your diagnosis? Uh, 96.9% I think is what that was. Uh, so 2% did. And any there shouldn't be any blue on there at all. Throughout my podcast, I've spoken to, um, I think there are about a dozen interviews with people um, who have at some point attempted suicide after their diagnosis. And the stories that are shared here really just like they they speak volumes to what it is that a person needs after a diagnosis and while i'm speaking specifically uh, in regards to this survey about herpes and herpes stigma you can see the parallels that can go alongside with just receiving an sci or having the sexual trauma of a positive uh, diagnosis and related to sexuality period and part of that is with the language that we use when we use prevention it means to keep from happening so what happens when it you don't keep something from happening now you failed or you are a failure right and with the word minimization to reduce something unpleasant to the smallest amount possible someone like me who is positive who still has an active sex life who wants to continue to have one i know that my identity is being validated in the sense of my experiences can be used in order to support people in navigating a healthy sex life to the best of their ability. So when I go off to disclose, I'm not someone who's on the failure end of of prevention. I'm on the successful end of minimization by actively doing what needs to be done in order to protect my partner. So uh, bringing this all back home, what Something Positive for Positive People, the podcast has been able to do is speak to people who've tested positive for an SCI and talk to them about those things that uh, people found to be supportive to them that weren't necessarily provided by the healthcare provider. Again, going back to how sex education omits these very important aspects, like I'll use uh, an example here is that BDSM in adulthood, it includes a lot of what's left out of sex education in childhood. So we talk about, again, consent, being able to ask for what you need, being able to say no, honor a no, identify abuse, being able to have boundaries and set boundaries, respect boundaries, and also seek support in the event that you need anything. So these are just some common themes that have come as a result of interviewing the 200 plus people on the podcast that um, have been willing to share their stories about their diagnosis. Are there any questions before I go on to the next slide? Hey, Courtney, there are a couple questions in our question and answer session and one in the chat. Um, so just I'll kind of combine these two in the question and answer session. And, uh, uh, looks like Mayona asked, uh, will they be able to receive these slides? Because it was a little bit hard for them to see. Another portion of that is, do you have any content uh, that they can use to promote your podcast through the clinic, like a business card or handout? Or I guess some type of link or something folks are looking for so that they can give this to their, uh, to their patients. And it seems like that also came up in the chat as well, too. Was there a link down off the application? Okay. Yeah, I can share that at the end. Um, 
the website is the primary resource where everything is. I'm in the process of creating a pamphlet that can be distributed. So I'm like printing and mailing those off and sending those digitally as well. So um, anyone who's interested on the last slide, I'll provide my contact information and we can figure out what it is that you need and what you want to share. And I can get you whatever it is that you need in order to share with your uh, patients. And yeah, I'll also make this chart, these charts over here a little bit bigger. So the survey is also on the website, so you can see it a lot more clear and you can see the entire survey. Uh, someone pointed out to me recently, and I'm glad that they pointed this out before I got here, but the tab said 2021 uh, HSV survey resluts instead of results. So that won't be on there anymore. <laughs> All right. Now, I mentioned that we'd go back to the STD prevention effort slide, and this is me revisiting it to STI minimization efforts. STDs are minimizable. If you have sex, know how to communicate pleasure and safety needs to your sexual partner. And then I'm quoting myself there because I'm a little bit, a little bit of vanity there. Um, but when we look at abstinence, as the most reliable way to avoid infection is to not have sex, okay? Well, if we are, in fact, having sex, a way to minimize looks like abstaining until you and your partner have agreed upon relationship intentions. Going over to vaccination, um, revisiting this, what do we do if we do test positive, right? So the CDC says, it basically just highlights the HPV vaccine here, but when we look at our overall health, what happens if someone is positive and doesn't know, how do we address this? This is a communication piece that is crucial to STI minimization. Reducing the number of sex partners is more so about communicating transparently among your past and current partners, which allows for all parties involved to consent to the best of their knowledge. So again, it goes back to consent being an important piece that's left out of the sex education um, conversation that we receive as youth. Mutual monogamy. All right. Now in 2021, there's Tinder, there's Bumble, there's Hinge, there's uh, Open, there's Field, there's all types of dating apps out there. Our next potential sexual partner is a thumb swipe away. Or if you're you know, on Instagram or social media, you send a couple memes and y'all might be meeting up for coffee, right? So if everyone in this sense is monogamous, but single, what good is the mutual monogamy, you know, having, uh, it says mutual monogamy, it's um, important to have an open and honest conversation with your partner. So if we have multiple mutually monogamous relationships, which can end and begin so close together, it's more so about the ethics of communicating safety and sex, uh, sex acts that are within one's own risk tolerance. Now, when we talk about condoms, using condoms, I'm pretty sure that the STD prevention model, uh, STD prevention efforts model is speaking exclusively to heterosexual uh, people or people with penises, right? So when we talk about using condoms on what? Can we also include using condoms on sex toys or other protective barriers that can be used between potentially same-sex partners? Or even if there's uh, different communicated sex acts, what are some things that can be done in order to keep safe? And in a sense of condom use, even in a heterosexual context, what do we do if 
a condom breaks or if it slips off or if it's applied incorrectly or if someone, you know, God forbid, you know, removes it in the middle of the sex act using condoms. How? Right. So it's more so, again, on the communication around consent, being able to communicate and know, okay, these are the things that need to be discussed. And there's some things that just shouldn't have to be discussed, but we know the importance of communication here in the sense of being able to talk about what's okay, what's not okay, being able to talk about your boundaries. Again, another piece that's left out of the sex ed conversation. And when we talk about getting tested, what's recent, what's too long? And again, it goes back to how a person chooses to navigate relationships. So if you are someone who is, you know, practicing monogamy, but maybe you're dating and single and uh, playing the field, seeing what's out there, or even if you're not monogamous and you are seeing multiple people, the communication and the frequency of testing and the encouraging of other partners to uh, get tested, know what their status is, and knowing what's being screened for is one of the key elements to STI minimization efforts because we know that some STIs cannot show symptoms or we could miss the initial symptoms and continue to be sexually active however we have been or will be without even knowing. And so communication and um, encouraging partners to know what their status is and get tested, whether it be between partners or whether it be every three months or six months or uh, whatever it is that is communicated between the two partners. This is something that uh, I would like to see encouraged in the STI minimization efforts model. Are there any questions before we go on to the next slide? It looks like there was one quick question here from Clarence Peoples. It says that I know that there are HIV prevention interventions. Are there any HCV interventions for people living with the virus at all that you're aware of? HCV? Yes, that's what he has here in the question. I'm assuming he's referring to uh, genital herpes. Are there any okay. interventions uh, that are uh, for those folks that are living with the virus itself? All right, I was going to say, I need to look up HCV. I ain't right, seen right. that before. But um, as far as HSV, no. There's a lot of advocacy on social media. Um, you'll see that there's social media accounts. There's... Uh, TikTok influencers, Instagram influencers, meme pages, support groups, and uh, there are a few people who are advocating for vaccinations and cures. Um, that I, I'm not certain that there's really much headway being made right now. There's a recent article with, uh, I think it might have been Rational Vaccines, but don't quote me on that, that's out about um, some sort of progress being made, funding being given for uh, research for a herpes cure. But that's probably the extent of it. I don't necessarily know that there are any intervention measures that are being taken for um, people with HSV outside or at least at this level of um, where something positive for positive people is in terms of outreach and looking to partner and connect with uh, different clinics and uh, STD prevention related organizations. I hope that answers your question. So the short answer is no. This one. <laughs> All right, we'll go on to the next slide. All right, so in college, I had my favorite teacher. He 
put me onto this thing called the ghost analysis, goal, objective, strategy, tactics, right? So this is just like a short overview of what it is that I'm advocating for and what uh, it's more of like a replicated version of what I've been able to find through something positive for positive people. My goal was to, it was suicide prevention. At the end of the day, it's suicide prevention. And while it's someone receiving a positive, uh, an SCI diagnosis that brings them in, at the core of what I do is suicide prevention. And so all of the skills and the data that's been collected over the last four and a half years is something that can be modeled in a way that supports STD prevention efforts. So the overall goal of what it is that I'm presenting is the minimization of STI transmissions. We want to empower people who are diagnosed with one to become advocates in their own way. And I mentioned earlier that could just look like being able to uh, dissolve stigma within oneself enough to be able to disclose to a potential partner as well as seek support in the event that it's needed or even be able to have open dialogue with friends and people in their networks and communities about the importance of getting tested based on their own experiences. The objective here will be to just tailor the mental health resources and solutions according to shared experiences of people diagnosed with an SCI. So specifically in an area, I live in St. Louis. So what that would look like is um, one of our clinics may have an area where there are just repeat cases of chlamydia, right? So in the event that someone's tested positive, um, if I'm the person who's the point of contact, I could reach out and just ask, hey, you know, would you be open to sharing um, your experiences in regards to supporting our future STI prevention efforts and just make it enticing for them to just share their experiences and stories. So um, as far as the strategy goes, it's very similar to something positive for positive people where we've noted consistent patterns and we match the issues to potential solutions related to mental health more so than the sex act. And I say mental health, but like the, the behaviors that are outside of the sex act. And this could just be a matter of expanding a person's perspective, just asking them about um, their relationship or getting them to a place where they're open to just talking. You'd be surprised how many people want to be on a podcast. Trust me, I know. And you'll also be surprised um, by what comes up when you just speak to everyday people. I don't know if there are any uh, podcast listeners here. I know True Crime's pretty popular here. Um, but when we look at if someone asked you to be on their podcast, you'd probably love the opportunity to just talk about a subject matter that you're the expert on, which would be yourself. Now, some people don't like talking about themselves, and typically they're in a vulnerable space after having been diagnosed, but uh, there's various ways to make this uh, some in, uh, in some way appealing, um, especially if it's going to be something that is in service to their community, which is what it's been so far for people who've been navigating an HSV diagnosis. Tactic wise, we'll just collect the related information from people who are willing to share uh, after their a positive uh, test result comes in. So this might not be something that comes up right away while they're in the doctor's office getting looked at and 
examined and everything, but perhaps there could be a little bit of a follow-up later after they've been introduced to this resource that's out there, had a little bit of time to get familiar with it, and then, you know, the resource that's being created with whatever the local clinic or organization is created to aid in their prevention efforts, um, they'll be a lot more receptive to being a part of that, knowing that it's something that will develop specific for their community based on what's been shared with them for something positive for positive people. Before I move on, do we have any questions on where on this tab? Okay. So what does integration look like and how does this lead to STI minimization? So I wrote all this stuff out here. This was just, you know, if anyone has trouble hearing me or um, this is something that I can speak volumes to. So the providers being aware of what a patient may not be aware that they need post-diagnosis, this is the initial touch point of prevention efforts. A person will literally leave their uh, provider's care or hang up the phone from receiving their diagnosis and have no idea that they should disclose or even how to disclose or even what questions to ask or what information they need or what support they may need. So with this being the initial touch point of STD prevention efforts, I think that it's important to empower providers to have a resource that doesn't necessarily pull you away from doing your job, which is to treat the symptoms, but also to just have on hand, hey, here's a pamphlet from something positive for positive people in regards to what you may not be aware that you need. Here are options for how you can navigate your diagnosis moving forward. Details about how to disclose, details about how to uh, alternative options for treatment in the event that the prescribed medication, valcyclovir, acyclovir, valtrex, um, may not work for you or if that's not something that appeals to you if you want to treat outbreaks in that way. So again, I'm specifically speaking to HSV. Um, that's what the primary focus of this podcast was, something positive for positive people. But the conversations parallel very, very well alongside all of the other STIs. So what uh, continues to come up also is just that a person loses touch with who they are and who they were before receiving their diagnosis. And it's the internalized stigma about STIs that makes them challenge their identities as a person. So a provider being able to present, hey, here's some options for you to move forward from this. Um, you can do what you'd like with those. But some of the more popular questions that are asked upon diagnosis are, how do I live with this? How do I, um, how do I tell my partner? These kinds of things. These are very, um, these are touch points that something positive for positive people does a very good job of uh, leading people through. Basically, just connecting people to people, the human element of someone who's diagnosed with an STI rather than viralizing the human um, or putting more of our humanity on being a person who has a virus, right? So, just what it does is essentially remind people who they are and empowers them or inspires them to be able to um, take ownership of their identity rather than allowing for it to be just gone with this new diagnosis, right? People who have tested positive, people who acquired an SCI, these are living, breathing, walking testimonials who 
if empowered enough, go on to become sexual health education advocates in their own way. Me being one of those people. And again, I started out uh, very, I would say, sloppy, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I've been looked to as a therapist. I've been looked to as um, a, a very um, impactful means of emotional support. And that's, you know, what something positive for positive people, you know, has set out to do. But early on, there were mistakes made. And it took for me to get into therapy last year, actually, for myself, um, after I started providing a service to other people, being sure that I was active in it myself. And one of the first things my therapist said to me was that, I don't think you dealt with your own diagnosis. And I was just like, you must not know who I am. Like, I've been doing this for four years. How are you going to tell me that? But that's just the power of this avoidance tendency. So for me, my avoidance looked like hopping into advocacy to help other people deal with their diagnosis simply because I hadn't dealt with mine. And so to this point, um, after being in therapy for over a year, um, I can say I'm at a much better place for myself, but now I'm also able to recognize where uh, the advocacy from other people, like I can kind of see where some of the similarities are and I'm seeing where there can be more harm done than good, but I can also see the potential for there to be more healing to occur than harm. So when we are able to empower people with consistent, accurate information and the resources that they may even need in order to get to a healthy place within themselves so that they can understand, here are my avenues for potential advocacy. I don't have to broadcast to the world that I had an SCI or that I have an SCI. What I can do, though, is educate my network of people on the importance of getting tested, the importance of proper condom use, the importance of being able to communicate healthily with partners about sex and sexual health, what to do if we get an STI, because that is so far disconnected from us when we haven't experienced it for ourselves or if someone around us hasn't experienced it. We just aren't connected to someone who has an STI. And because of that, we can other people who do have an STI. So when the people who do test positive are engaged and a confident and when when the people who test positive are able to engage in confident, informed conversations with potential partners about their sexual health, they also influence others' willingness to do so as well. So it's got a trickle down effect. I walk out of the uh, doctor's office testing positive for chlamydia. I'm shown this resource. I leave and I go listen to something positive for positive people. I get a follow-up call from the clinic and ask me if I want to share what my experience was in relation to having tested positive for chlamydia. We talk about the experience with the diagnosis. We talk about what brought them there. And you get more of an overall view of uh, what this person's life is like within the community. Um, I know that here there's uh, zip code tracking for cases of um, chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, and trick, I believe. Uh, so if these stories are consistently coming from a particular zip code, being able to find the commonality there, we're able to see what more of those needs are and begin to address those. So 
empowering the people who are taking up the physical space in various communities to be able to advocate not only for their own sexual health, but also for their partners and their communities and people around them. We've got a lot more advocates that are uh, building this sex positive community that is communicative and um if they're confident enough and able to share, hey, you know, I've had chlamydia before, so I don't have sex with people who haven't been tested within the last month, three months since their last partner. So this is what minimization can potentially look like if mental health resources, uh, various mental health resources are integrated with SCI minimization. Are there any questions? Uh, looks like we have a quick question. Uh, it, says, it says, why are STIs so stigmatized? Oh, all right. How long we got? <laughs> uh, it's, it's othering. Um, we believe that it can't happen to us. Um, I think that part of it is with that word prevention. You know, prevent means to keep something from happening. So if I wear a condom every time I have sex, I'm preventing myself from getting an STD, right? Uh, and that's probably the most popular assumption is that condoms protect people from uh, all STDs, right? Um, with the language of you wear a condom, period, like that's it, right? We go back to what if we're talking about same-sex relationships, if we're talking about two vulva owners engaging, what good is a condom doing for them if they've only been taught that condoms go on penises, right? So, the sex acts and the discomfort with talking about sex, um, the way that we don't talk about those mental health and human aspects of sex education or in sex education, all of these things contribute to that. And the one thing that I believe is probably highest on the hierarchy there is the inability for people who have, uh, potentially come into contact with an SCI to feel like they can ask for help or ask for support. You know, I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who've been like, well, yeah, my pee burned a little bit once, but that was it. I figured it would just go away. And then lo and behold, things get worse. And I can, you know, speak for myself. I had like, uh, I had chlamydia that I was diagnosed with as a result of um, having symptoms of prostatitis. So I go to an urgent care facility. I'm looking online to see what's going on because at this point my prostate's just swollen and I'm having slow urine, uh, slow urine whenever I go to the restroom. I didn't think anything of it until my prostate began to get swollen. I was like, okay, my that area is starting to hurt. That's not normal. So I go into an urgent care facility. I let them know what's going on. And I have no idea that this could be chlamydia. I'm diagnosed with prostatitis, sent on my way. They asked if I was curious, if I thought that it could be an SCI. And because um, I was sexually active with one person and we had just gotten tested, I was like, no, I don't think so. But test me anyway. Um, I walked out. I had my prescription of uh, prostatitis and anti-inflammatories or whatever it was. And then I left. So I get out of there and I go back home. I'm living my life. And lo and behold, I get a phone call a few days later telling me, hey, uh, you tested negative for gonorrhea. 
long pause because people have to do that long dramatic pause. But your chlamydia test came back positive. I remember being on the phone like, what? It's like, yeah, your chlamydia test came back positive. It's like, how long are y'all open? Because at this point, I would have reinfected myself because I had no reason to think that I had an SCI. So the stigma also comes from this. I don't know why it's so difficult, but from our inability to talk about sex, because if someone told me, hey, you know, prostatitis is potentially a uh, symptom of chlamydia. I didn't learn that until after I tested positive for chlamydia and I Googled prostatitis and chlamydia, right? This was something that I had to learn on my own. So it's a combination of, um, you know, perhaps I didn't ask enough questions like, hey, what could this have stemmed from? Where did this come from? What do I do? Um, perhaps my provider could have been a little bit more informative with me of, you know, or inquire more on my uh, sex acts, my number of sexual partners, how many people I might have been having sex with if I'm having unprotected sex with them. All of these kinds of questions could have been on the table, but it was just it just seemed like this get in, get out uh, type thing. And there was no exploration of what the symptoms could have been. And yeah, so that was like my personal experience with that. So the whole realm of SCIs and where stigma is, it really just comes down to, I believe, us not having um, an understanding that this still can happen despite condom use, despite abstinence, vaccinations, getting tested, being mutually monogamous or reducing your number of sex partners. We really believe that that's how we prevent SCIs, but there's no real conversation about, okay, well, what if? What happens if that doesn't work? What happens if someone lies about their status or if someone's just unaware of what their status is? Some STIs present no symptoms and we don't learn that until after we encounter one or after we encounter someone who has tested positive for an STI. I will ramble if you let me. Uh, I think it's the podcaster in me. <laughs> but um, is, are there any other questions? Because I definitely I have things that I can continue to say and talk about. All right. So this is how you can get in contact with me. Um, I again, I'm advocating for the integration of mental health resources and uh, STI minimization. I want to get rid of that word prevention altogether so that we can you know, make this become much more of an intentionally inclusive space for those of us who have tested positive to be comfortable with advocating. Because when I go to an event and I see our goal is to eliminate STDs or STIs as someone who's positive, you know, how do you think that makes me feel? How does that make a lot of the population feel for people who have oral herpes, cold sores, um, they may completely just disassociate from that and be like, oh, well, I don't have it generally, you know, I'm better than that. And it just continues to create like this othering and this hierarchy of uh, or this this or that you either don't have an SCI and you're doing the right thing or you haven't had one or you do. And we don't want to talk to you because you're 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 out of our range of perspective. You are beyond help. But when we can make this an intentionally inclusive space for people who have tested positive to be able to come in and support the 
prevention efforts in a way that emphasizes minimization through just even disclosing, giving someone the option and allowing for them to make the decisions that are going to be safest for them in their exchange with their partner. That's probably one of the more useful efforts in aiding in um, lowering that constant growing number of new STI cases. I'm Courtney Brain. Thank you so much for taking the time to come to this presentation. It's my first one speaking at a conference, so I'm excited to have been able to get through this. And um, yeah, if you have any questions, here's how you get in contact with me. Thanks so much, uh, Courtney. That was really great and informative. Uh, you got some great feedback in our chat. A lot of people are thanking you for the inclusive language. Um, a couple of folks made some comments about their uh, theories on STIs and HIV-related sexual behaviors. And the culture has never really had a healthy attitude around sex. And then some other folks are thanking you, saying this is very helpful for their future encounters with some of their patients. Um, let's see, got a couple more here. And also said this, uh, that doc stop asking people over 70, over 65. Uh, and there's some of the seniors are still sexually active. So I uh, guess that's an issue. So that's great to bring that up. But a lot of people are really uh, appreciative of the uh, session and the information that's being presented because that's not something that we hear much about, uh, especially nowadays. And even in my experience of working in the STI field, you know, you don't hear people talk much about that, especially with personal testimony. So I can really appreciate that as well. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Yeah, y'all can check out the Something Positive for Positive People podcast as well. Um, it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I know it's a mouthful, but if you uh, just Google search SPFPP or even my name, it'll be probably one of the first things that come up. Um, unfortunately, I kind of signed up for a lot of SEO around my name and the word herpes. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be easy to find. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for that presentation, Courtney. Uh, just uh, everyone remember that this contact information can be found at the end of the, uh, the speaking on the, and looking at the uh, speaker's profile. And then also want to remind everyone that uh, in order to get to your next session, you have to click any section and then go back to the agenda page to access the next session. Um, I don't think there are any more questions that I see here. A couple still great comments. So everyone is very appreciative. And I think having said that, let's see, do we have any other questions? Nope, we are all set. So I appreciate everyone's time and thank you everyone for attending this session. And I hope everyone enjoys the rest of the conference. Do, do I leave? Do I hang yes. out for a little bit? All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. out the tab how much more time i got on here i got about seven minutes before this closes out that shit was something <laughs> it's done though ah. episode 199 of something positive for positive people you got to hear my very first conference type speaking thing that i'm getting paid for among health professionals. It was a lot of fucking people in there. Oh my God. Oh, I scrolled through at the end. I didn't want to know how many people were in there while I was doing it, but I got through it. 
And I started scrolling down the attendees and I was like, yo, I'm scrolling for a pretty long time. But the comments were very awesome. Uh, people mentioned, you know, how impactful it was to hear from someone who has their own lived experience. Oh, damn, I wish I would have stayed in there and like just muted myself and scrolled through more of the comments. But the comments were very validating that, um, yeah, this is the right direction to take. This is a transition. So you got to see firsthand, you know, this is what Courtney is going to be doing moving forward as I advocate for the integration of mental health resources and STD prevention efforts. I want to get rid of that word prevention and utilize minimization so that it can be more intensely, intentionally inclusive to those of us who have tested positive so that we feel supported and like we can be a part of um, the advocacy for the STD prevention efforts that are out there. Um, if you want to continue to support us, something positive for positive people, spfpp.org, please make donations. That helps us with all of this advocacy. There's going to be a lot of um, seeking these kinds of conferences and speaking events, workshops, uh, and really getting the resources and lived experiences that I've picked up on throughout the years of podcasting and speaking to you all and having your stories shared. Um, that, that, that's, that's what's next. <laughs> it's happening right now. Uh, and that's the direction that we're going into. I want to get people who are outside of our community to advocate for us, to support us, to invite us into their spaces in a way that we feel welcomed and supported. All right. So I hope that you got something out of this. I hope that this helps paint a picture of where we are so that you can share with your networks and talk to your clinics, clinician, whoever, um, advisor, not advisor, about what it is that we're doing. So I want to basically make a data collection um podcast internally with organizations to support them in identifying the needs of their communities, right? Just like this, interviewing people who've tested positive for an STI about their experience so that it aids in STI minimization efforts. That's it. All right. Till next time, which will be the last time, stay sex positive.